Unexplainable is a science show about everything we don't know. Like, we don't know how bikes work. Get out. Come on. We don't know where the moon came from. Holy cow. You've touched the moon. This is incredible. We don't even know what life is. No one has been able to define life, and some people will tell you it's not possible to. Unexplainable takes you right up to the edge of what we know and keeps going. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. What? Oh my goodness. Radiolab. Whoa. Adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Hello, and welcome to BioEats World, a podcast at the intersection of bio, healthcare, and tech. I'm Olivia Webb, the editorial lead for Bio and Health at A16Z. Today's episode is with Tommy Ibrahim, president and CEO of Bassett Healthcare Network, based in central New York. He is joined by A16Z Bio and Health general partner, Julie Yu. Together, they talk about his journey from practicing physician to health system leadership, the challenges facing rural healthcare today, and how Tommy thinks about partnering and integrating with digital health entrepreneurs as a hospital executive. Let's get started. So Dr. Tommy Abraham, it is a pleasure to have you here. We have in our midst a, a CEO of a hospital system, and uh, it's rare that we get a chance to speak with someone who's at the helm of an organization like Bassett, especially you know in this day and age, given the dynamic nature of the healthcare markets. So we are very much looking forward to the conversation, Tommy. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Wonderful. So as, as folks know, Bassett is a, a dear partner to Andrews and Horowitz. We've been working with you and your team on um, various aspects of your innovation strategy and how to leverage technology in a way that really transformed the underlying operations of your business. Before we get to that, uh, let's actually start with your personal story. We'd love to hear more about the path that brought you to being the CEO of Bassett. Well, I consider myself really fortunate and blessed in many ways. Um, I didn't wake up one day and ask to be uh, in the seat that I'm in, but it just sort of happened that way. And I'm super grateful that, that it did. My journey started as um, as a you know just a regular bread and butter physician. I'm internal medicine trained. Did my residency uh, training in, in Baltimore, Maryland. Practiced as an internist and a hospitalist for several years after finishing my training. And uh, I always sort of jokingly say that uh, I was pulled into leadership out of frustration. I always uh, encountered things that got in the way of my ability to take best care of patients possible. And I was always that guy that would pull together a team and figure out how to fix it. And uh, slowly but surely. Before I knew it, I was getting tugged a lot more into into leadership opportunities, you know, leading committees, task forces. Uh, ultimately, that that grew into into broader roles as medical directors and chief medical officers, etc. And my journey has uh, really taken me across the entire country. Um, I spent a little bit of time in in Illinois, serving as a chief medical officer for a good mid-sized health system. Uh, served as chi- uh, chief physician officer for Mercy One in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Chief physician executive for Integris Health in Oklahoma City. That entire journey over the course of the past uh, decade and a half or so has really prepared me to try to make an impact uh, as best as I can at Bassett. So uh, really fortunate to be uh, the CEO of this amazing organization. Uh, I've been uh, in the role for about three years now, 
and having a blast despite all the, the challenges and headwinds that we encounter in healthcare. Amazing. And I mean, it's clear that you would have been a leader no matter where you are in the world, Tommy. Um, but if you weren't CEO of Bassett, what do you think you'd be doing? I was definitely headed down the path of uh, growing my clinical career. I was actually um, very much planning on pursuing fellowship training after residency. Wanted to be a gastroenterologist. That was the goal. And um, I actually had uh, pursued some research uh, opportunities at the NIH, um, you know, published a few papers in the, in the world of gastroenterology. But uh, somewhere along that line, uh, the trajectory shifted rather uh, significantly. That's really interesting. What, what was it about gastro that attracted you? Uh, actually, some personal medical issues, and um, mm. it was just a field that uh, I connected to quite instinctively and um, developed a passion for it over time. Obviously, one of the unique aspects of Bassett, Tommy, is the fact that you are a rural-based healthcare system, yep. which has uh, very unique challenges, very different from some of the typical names we tend to hear in the media uh, on the hospital side um, that are based in more urban, uh, well-populated locations. So maybe educate us on what it means to be a rural healthcare system. If you look at the landmass across the country, greater than 90% of the landmass is actually rural. So we actually take a great amount of pride serving a population that desperately looks to us to support all of their healthcare delivery needs. In most of these communities, rural organizations, rural healthcare in general is, is the largest economic driver uh, for those communities. Uh, and as I mentioned, um, the patients really depend on us to provide uh, as much of their health-related uh, support as, as we best can. If you study uh, the demographics, um, you, you'll see that rural environments uh, largely take care of, of patients uh, that are elderly, are more advanced uh, in chronic comorbidities. Uh, there are you know, significant social determinants of health uh, challenges that we have to account for that our urban counterparts may not necessarily have to account for, things like broadband connectivity, transportation, food insecurity, and uh, really wrapping around resources that can address uh, the, the holistic uh, needs of our community. I would say that over the course of the past three years, we've really seen a significant deepening of those challenges throughout the pandemic. Clearly, COVID has exposed a, a lot of the inequities and the insecurities of, of supporting um, rural health care. You know, we were uh, operating, I think, from a baseline prior to the pandemic where we were significantly challenged from a workforce perspective. Uh, the ability to to recruit talent to our communities, the ability to retain talent in our communities was uh, significantly hindered prior, but it's now, it's just really magnified uh, the challenges. Uh, there really haven't been, you know, significant payment reform improvements around rural healthcare delivery. Uh, and as a result, I think we're seeing uh, a significant shift in how those communities are um, able to access healthcare delivery services. The recent statistic that I came across was that there's about 600 or so rural hospitals that are now at risk of closure within the next one to two years. And that is a, a really stark and rude awakening that we all have to grapple with as we move forward here to, to really address the needs and address the root causes of the challenges once and for all. Mm -hmm. And obviously a, a sad and, and traumatic stat for, for the healthcare system. You made the point that you are the sort of sole, you know, major provider of care delivery in your community versus what we oftentimes hear, you know, again, from your urban counterparts, it's all about competition in, in, in their markets. And a lot of the focus is, is more on, on growth and market share, et cetera. I have to imagine that you have a very, very different approach to collaboration, whether it be with other providers or even the government, um, policymakers, et cetera. Can you maybe highlight some examples, Tommy, of where you think you are probably taking a very different approach to partnership with other stakeholders in your orbit uh, relative to maybe your urban peers? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So if you look at you know uh, Central New York, for example, where we're largely um, focused on, we cover a really wide geography. So fifty six hundred square miles, and you know throughout that uh, that region, there really isn't um, any other healthcare delivery service uh, aside from us. So I'm mentioning that only to elevate a really important point that it's uh, although we have I think some some significant market presence. It's often a blessing and a curse, particularly throughout this environment that we're operating in, because we've traditionally tried to be everything to our community. And I think what uh, what the you know, pandemic has done to us and the environment has really uh, forced us to to take into account is whether or not we can continue to sustain that model. We're really stepping backwards and trying to uh, ask ourselves what are we uh, strongest in, what are our most uh, core competencies, and what are the things that we feel might not be a core competency for us. And um, as we've gone through that evaluation, it's become abundantly clear to, to us as an institution, uh, to our board, that we're going to have to really rationalize what we can and cannot do moving forward and look to partners where we can add strength and add continued value to our communities. So, you know, we've pursued a number of recent partnerships just in the past couple of years, which is, a, I would say, a, a major divergence from our prior position on our strategy. Uh, to incorporate the strengths of others and, and, and really incorporate the, the value that other organizations can bring to our organization. So recent partnership with Optum, where we've outsourced things like uh, information technology, analytics, uh, as well as RefCycle, all things that we you know did and did rather well, but we just weren't going to ever get that edge in a rapidly evolving space that we know we needed and wanted uh, to support our community. So that was a very strategic partnership. I'm a big believer in innovation and, and digital health, and particularly in cultivating a new paradigm for rural health, leveraging innovation at the heart of that, uh, which is the, the sole reason that uh, we fostered our partnership together with you, Juliet Andreessen, and, and we're super excited about how uh, Andreessen and the whole digital health ecosystem can play a role in Bassett 2.0 as we're trying to reference it. You mentioned also earlier the workforce challenges, which are, are, are ubiquitous in the, in the industry today, but you know, probably more heightened in, in areas like yours. I'm curious also if you sort of juxtapose that with what we're seeing on the tech side, where we actually have seen a migration of talent outside of urban cities, right? So a lot of migration outside of the typical SF, New York, LA domains where historically uh, clusters of, of tech talent have resided. And you know, I hear all the time about people who have moved to you know, all reaches of, of the country, uh, including rural environments. I'm curious if, if you see that impact at all and, you know, what your view on the next few years is from a kind of a population migration perspective and whether you're optimistic about, you know, potentially a positive impact there on workforce. We actually saw in 2021 a little bit of an uptick, to, to your point, Julie, in the number of workers coming into rural environments. 2021 was actually one of our better recruitment years that we have recorded uh, in a really long time. You know, I, I feel like there's a, a dynamic that's uh, sort of created here um, where there's going to be somewhat of a semi-permanent, if not a permanent shift in workforce. Last year, I saw, I think, about 100,000 nurses that have left healthcare uh, entirely. 200,000 physicians have left the workforce entirely. That is forcing us, particularly in rural health, to, again, reconsider alternative workforce models or alternative clinical care delivery models looking to, to leverage virtual capabilities to give us broader um, access to, to talent across the country. And I think that that's going to be a trend that uh, will probably continue here, at least in healthcare. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about embracing technology to address some of these challenges. 
Talk to us about what role technology has played in the, the delivery of healthcare at Bassett, and if there's any specific examples that you can call out beyond the traditional EHR and, and things of that sort. What would be some of the projects that you would highlight that you think have had a successful impact on uh, workforce leverage? You know, we really, really like to align a lot of our decision making around um, which uh, technologies to incorporate into our healthcare system, really in alignment with our strategy. So we go through a pretty in-depth and detailed due diligence process. Uh, to make sure that we're addressing, you know, significant, unique needs of Bassett and rural communities. Uh, along those lines, our strategy is very much focused on, again, addressing the social determinants of health, ensuring that we can take care of the community the way it needs to be taken care of. So uh, looking at opportunities to, to bring more care delivery into the home environment, for example, is, is one area that we're really focused on. I think it, it addresses the needs of transportation challenges, addresses the needs of other access-related problems that our community constantly uh, has to grapple with. So along those lines, we've just partnered with a company called uh, All Health, for example. Uh, they are a remote patient monitoring uh, organization where we're, we're able to very quickly and adeptly uh, identify physiological status, other parameters uh, of the patients right there in their home environment. And that information directly feeds into our clinical care delivery system and enables us to respond to that patient's needs right in real time, you know, within their home environment. So that's something that we're very excited about. Uh, we're starting with a very small pilot and broadly rolling out the, the deployment uh, across other clinical use cases here in the very near future. So that's just one example. To address your point, Julie, uh, about workforce, as you probably have seen throughout the pandemic, there's been a significant escalation around behavioral health challenges across the country. And that's unfortunately played out, uh, I would say, adversely in terms of escalation and increase in, in workplace violence incidents, challenges related to interactions between our patients and our employees. And as a result, we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen some troubling statistics on uh, just the safety profile of our environment and how, uh, how we can better take care of our employees in that process. So uh, another company that we just partner with is a company called Strongline. Well, what these guys do, it's, it's really interesting actually, but it's a, it's a remote badge where if an employee of ours experiences or feels uh, there could be a risk of a, uh, a, a violent escalation or some other safety issue uh, that they might be encountering, they can very discreetly uh, press a, a button on their badge, which sends an automatic alert to our security teams. And we're able to deploy resources to that location within minutes. We've already seen significant benefits in that. Our ability to de-escalate current situations or challenging situations in real time, if nothing at all, has magnified the focus on safety for our employees and has given people a sense of security across the organization. Wow, that's an incredible example and so terrible that you have to implement something like that. But, you know, great that you've found a technology solution to address it. And those were two really interesting examples. You know, if you talk about RPM and this notion of sort of security safety, almost like an IoT type solution for your employee base, you know, those were probably categories that didn't exist in your budget, you know, five years ago or, or certainly 10 years ago. You know, entrepreneurs are always very keen to understand how decisions are made, how, how purchasing decisions are made in, in hospitals. For those types of solutions, do you treat those differently than sort of your typical IT spend, again, the legacy systems like EHR and PACs and, and all the other things that you've probably been spending money on for decades that probably have a very codified notion to how you evaluate and purchase those solutions versus these novel solutions that have very different characteristics. How do you sort of approach those two buckets of, of decision making? 
your traditional hardware infrastructure, IT-related investments uh, usually flow through our capital process, our capital structure. On the digital health side, on the innovation side, we actually try to funnel a lot of these decisions through our innovation center. And we've built, I think, a really good uh, governance structure that marries up the uh, opportunities that are being presented to us against our strategy, against our unique needs. We've created a really good process to filter out you know, solutions that we think um, would make the most impact for our organization. The partnership with Andreessen has helped us to distill out, you know, quote unquote, some of the noise uh, that's in the, in the environment and uh, to really align those uh, point solutions that make the most sense for us through that governance process. It's been working really well so far. So uh, we're very excited about some of those capabilities potentially coming online here in the near future. Yes. And we've seen a lot of organizations struggle with how to implement uh, such innovation programs and, and really have teeth behind them. But um, I've, I obviously think that you, you all have done a wonderful job with that. And you and I have shared notes on just the wave of you know, generative AI innovation that we see coming across our, our lives, whether it be in healthcare or otherwise. But you as someone who is at the helm of, a, of an organization that has to really deliver care in real life and you know, with things that work today and obviously with a super high bar on everything from quality to safety to efficacy. I'm curious to hear your view on, you know, where do you see the biggest opportunities for Bassett to really lean in to this new wave of, of AI? And, and where do you think it's not? And what do you think needs to be true of the solutions that are presented to you for it to make sense to be absorbed into an organization like Bassett? Yeah, it's a really great question. I've been thinking a lot about this uh, lately as well, particularly in light of uh, the, the workforce dynamics that we encounter. Anything that um, could potentially uh, augment our existing staff um, and augment efficiencies across the institution is something that we're just going to have to really pay special attention to and consider very strongly. I do believe that there's a space for um, AI and automation to be incorporated throughout um, all of healthcare, quite frankly. And there's a number of systems and processes that I think are um, are very easily duplicated by strong technologies um, that could free up our clinical staff, our very scarce resource in our clinical staff, to focus on where it most matters, for to really get people practicing at the very top of their license and eliminating some of the mundane and some of the duplicative and, and redundant uh, things that they're doing on a regular basis that just take them away from the patient. Conversely, there's I think there's some areas that just really scare me, particularly as uh, it uh, dives into uh, more of the, the clinical domain and, and the patient care delivery side of things. I think we need a lot more caution going into that space, and we need a lot more time to to understand the technology and and how it can or cannot serve uh, our patients. Uh, but we're very open to that, and we want to try to develop you know use cases where it's most appropriate. We want to partner with the innovators in this space uh, to determine what those best use cases are. We are developing internal policies on on what we should and should not be using AI for right now. I'll admit I've used it myself to to draft emails to the organization and draft other <laughs> other correspondences, which has been a, a major major time saver for me. Just getting started here, and I think it's a very exciting future. So, what I'm taking away from what you just described, Tommy, is that there are some potentially near term, you know, low hanging fruit and high ROI use cases that are probably more on the administrative side of the house with respect to applications of AI, but where you see promise, but not yet the, the bar of, of quality and safety that you need to see is really on the clinical side. And are, are there specific use cases, though, on the clinical side where you would say, if, you know, someone, if a company came forth and built sort of a purpose-built solution for healthcare that was trained on the appropriate data sets that was uh, more accurate than obviously what we see with the off-the-shelf uh, chat GPT today, 
that the business case would be strong enough to justify investing in, in such a solution. Can you can you call it a couple of use cases? Because I think that's a top of mind question for a lot of entrepreneurs these days. I think there's certainly nursing and physician workflow related items that uh, could really be advanced. Uh, documentation um, is an area that takes up a lot of time. You know, in the area of case management, care management, I think uh, there's uh, opportunities to also leverage uh, the technology to make better decisions on clinical patient status, for example. I think there's opportunities in that space. Uh, you know, clearly patient education could be something where AI is, is also leveraged to really produce and provide uh, patients with sound um, recommendations and education for management of their own personal chronic and, and acute uh, medical conditions. And I think at some point in time in the future, there's the AI doctor or the AI nurse is, is probably going to come into play as well, where there's some clinical decision support capabilities that's provided the, at the fingertips of our clinicians to, to make um, even better decisions than, uh, than we're making today at the bedside. So uh, it's all really exciting. Yeah, it's um, you see the analogies already playing out with programmers, with with software developers, where they have these co-pilot apps that sort of sit alongside them as they're developing software and providing guidance in a similar fashion, you know, using purpose-built trained models. So, yeah, I agree that it's probably inevitable that we start to see some of those solutions emerge in, in the out years here. So, Tommy, you mentioned earlier this strategic partnership with Optum and a significant p- component of the operational backbone of Bassett will obviously be managed by Optum, as you mentioned. And some of that touches on technology as well. Can you touch a bit on that on that framework of for why you forged that partnership and and what you think success looks like for a model like that in let's say you know three to five years time? Yeah, I think it goes back to the comments I made earlier about you know just really reflecting on what our core competencies are and what our non-core competencies are, and and we just knew that we'd hit a rate of diminishing returns on on areas like information technology, analytics, and and ref cycle. Uh, we'd really done the best that we can, and we'd only gotten so far. We knew that we were leaving opportunity on the table, quite frankly, particularly in the area of RefCycle. We knew that uh, you know, with the significant advancements in technology and uh, I think the major environmental issues that we're seeing around cybersecurity, we knew that we required a significant infusion of capital and investment into our IT infrastructure, and that wasn't something that we were, um, you know, candidly quite prepared to uh, to do at the time. So. Uh, it really just became abundantly clear uh, to to all of us as a leadership team and our board that we needed to uh, really think differently about these areas in particular and leverage the strengths of others who have already performed in this space. And we went through a significant due diligence process. We looked at each of the areas individually. We considered whether or not we RFP for each of the areas individually. And at the end of the day, we um, we felt it was going to be best for the institution, both uh, operationally as well as culturally, to to try to find a single source partner that could bring the depth that we needed in all three areas, as opposed to in a fragmented way, bringing on three individual partners or independent partners. And uh, Optum was the um, the leader by far in terms of what was going to meet Bassett's needs the best. Uh, We've been very happy with the partnership so far. We've seen significant improvement in operations. We've seen improvement in ROI uh, in a lot of these areas, tracking very well uh, with the original expectations. Culturally, I think it's been a really nice partnership and a nice fit. It's not perfect by any means, and we come to the table whenever we have to uh, to problem solve, but it's always in collaboration with one another. In most cases, we've been able to uh, to troubleshoot and actually come out with uh, with really great outcomes. So almost two years into it now, and um, uh, you know, it's a 10-year agreement, and uh, I think there's so many other things that we could potentially do with Optum over the course of the, you know, the remaining um, years of the partnership. 
you guys have clearly been um, very progressive and aggressive about forging these partnerships in areas where, you know, you have found solutions and partners that exist in the market today. And you also shared with us earlier many of the things that are keeping you up at night as CEO of Bassett. What are some areas where you are less confident that solutions exist today, where you would put out a call to arms, you know, to entrepreneurs who are building in this space to say, hey, these are areas that are unmet needs, you know, with the existing set of solutions and but there is a, a business case with a strong ROI. Please come build in, in these domains. Or are there any areas that you would call out in that context? If you look at Bassett, we're a, a very well integrated healthcare delivery system. We have a full continuum care delivery operation um, with hospitals, subacute and postacute uh, care assets that are really important to uh, to really bring a, a wide depth and breadth of, of capabilities to the community. We have a fully employed medical group. I'm leading in with all of this to say that I think we are really well set up to pursue a very strong value-based agenda. And I think one area where entrepreneurs could potentially help us is leveraging a platform or an infrastructure that really helps catalyze our movement to population health and to value. It's very hard for rural organizations like ourselves to make those key investments um, without kind of taking on a significant, substantial amount of risk to move in that direction. The incentives are just not aligned um, the way they should be to, to get us there. It takes a lot of uh, upfront capital to be able to make the necessary changes uh, to move in that direction. Having said that, I think that there was a uh, an entrepreneurial appetite uh, for folks out there to partner with organizations like ourselves to help help us build that infrastructure, to help us accelerate our progress in that domain enable us with the necessary capabilities like analytics, patient navigation, case management, uh, and some of the other you know, infrastructural needs to, to migrate us in that direction. Uh, that could be, uh, I think, a huge upside story for both entrepreneurs, for health systems like ourselves, and most importantly, the community who would really, I think, win in a, in a value-based uh, strategy that's focused on health and wellness. And that brings up a, another question, Tommy, about the state of payer-provider relationships, because obviously, you know, that is predicated on payers' willingness to delegate risk, uh, as well as, you know, strong partnership with regards to how they're able to support you in addition to bring other partners to the table. Can you maybe describe just the payer dynamics in your market? Are those dynamics changing? Is there progressiveness around value-oriented uh, models in, in your region? And does Bassett, you know, actually plan at, at any point to stand up its own health plan infrastructure and, and vertically integrate in that fashion as well as we see happening across other areas of our, of our ecosystem. Like other rural organizations across the country, um, you know, our payer mix is largely governmental. So 40% of our payer mix is Medicare, 30% is Medicaid. We have a, a pretty decent commercial mix, about 30% or so in total of which uh, there are you know, two large uh, main payers that we work very closely with. You know, I think the relationships are really strong. We come to the table quite often to talk about uh, ways that we can better partner. And, and absolutely, there is definitely an appetite for us to, to form uh, and, and really foster stronger relationships in the, in the pay-vider space, if you will. Uh, we've had those conversations about potential JV opportunities and looking at broader MA collaboration and other ways that we could really leverage our respective strengths uh, to, to meet the community's needs. So a little bit of a shift from your traditional mindset of, you know, payers and providers kind of uh, going head to head to try to discuss rates and all, you know, that kind of dynamic. We're really trying to come to the table to foster ways that we could work very closely together with our payers. That's great. 
And then maybe just to close things out, Tommy, you know, I'll come back to the the notion of kind of entrepreneurs and how they approach uh, working and partnering with hospitals like yours. The unfortunate trope, and I say this as an entrepreneur who worked with hospitals in my past life, hospitals are not always the easiest to work with. And, you know, there's many, many reasons why. And um, but at the end of the day, you know, the impact and the opportunity and the upside can be tremendous if you, again, find that opportunity set, that overlapping Venn diagram of, um, of opportunity, business case and solution. And so magic can be had when, when it's done right. Given that you are inundated with so many founders and companies that are pitching you all the time, what is one thing that you wish founders knew about working with hospitals that you think they get wrong today? Right now in the current climate, it really is about bandwidth and understanding that hospitals and health systems are really, really stretched managing, you know, significant day-to-day challenges. And, you know, often is the case, it's, it's hard to shift attention uh, outside of that in many respects. We're a little bit different in the fact that, you know, we're, uh, we're a little bit more nimble than maybe some other healthcare systems that are out there. And I think simplifying the process as best as possible for healthcare executives is really important. Uh, so unless something really resonates from a strategic perspective, unless something really resonates to solve a critical and acute issue that we're dealing with on a daily basis, it's very hard to divert any kind of attention to anybody who's speaking a different language or who's not maybe presenting something uh, that makes any rational sense at this time. And this may not be the best environment for entrepreneurs to, to navigate um, the healthcare ecosystem, if you will. But uh, you know, I would, tell, I would tell folks out there to, to continue to be resilient um, and to try to appeal to healthcare uh, you know, executives to their most pressing needs. And it's great advice that I think applies to all aspects of business, but, um, but certainly in the healthcare market, given the challenges that you described. Uh, well, thank you so much, Tommy, for your uh, insights and perspective and, and sharing so many examples of how Bassett is really at the tip of the spear of you know, thinking differently about um, transforming the way rural healthcare is delivered. My pleasure, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining BioEats World. BioEats World is hosted and produced by me, Olivia Webb, with the help of the Bio and Health team at A16Z and edited by Phil Hegseth. BioEats World is part of the A16Z podcast network. If you have questions about the episode or want to suggest topics for a future episode, please email bioeatsworld at a16z.com. Last but not least, if you're enjoying BioEats World, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note that the content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com disclosures.